So I became a Christian my sophomore year at Penn State. I grew up in a church-going family, but never really understood the gospel. It was uh, kind of an interesting story. The end of my freshman year at Penn State, I was coming out of a math class, and there was these guys walking through campus carrying a coffin. Yeah, a little bit graphic back then, and they were advertising a program on campus called If I Should Die. And it was a multimedia slide presentation, and basically shared the gospel message. And I, I went to the presentation, I heard it, I filled out a card saying, yeah, I'd like to talk to somebody more about this. And a guy came by my dorm room, went through a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws, many of you are familiar with. And at that point in my life, though, I was beginning to run from God. And again, gone to church growing up, but I kind of thought, you know what, I can take care of myself, I can work out my issues. And so I kind of rejected at that point in time. Well, it was the beginning of my sophomore year, I was coming out of the dining hall on campus and I ran into two of the guys that I'd met in Campus Crusade and they stopped me and they said, Keith, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. And the one guy looks me in the eye and said, how are you doing spiritually? And I kind of gulped and I said, well, not so good. And he basically said, you know, until you get your life with God right, you're really not going to find what you're looking for. And inside I knew he was right and so I decided that I wanted to get things right with God. So I got involved and I was in a, uh, a Bible study reading a little booklet called How to Be Sure You're a Christian. And that's when I would say that I understood the gospel for the first time. And so that began a relationship with Christ and I began to grow in my faith and, and, and very rapidly. I learned to share my faith with others. Uh, not too long after that, I began to uh, lead a, a small group Bible study. And you know, I don't want to say life was perfect. It wasn't. But my relationship with God and things with God were just fantastic. I couldn't believe that I could experience a relationship with the God of the universe. And he was changing my life in some very clear and tangible ways. Well, a lot of that changed, not necessarily what God was doing, but kind of the, um, not easy life, but uh, the summer after my junior year, I went on a summer beach project at North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And don't get me wrong, it was, a, it was a great summer. It was wonderful in a lot of ways. But it was also probably the hardest summer of my life. You see, because I'm, I'm a performer. And what I mean by that is not that I sing and dance. Trust me, you don't want to go there, okay? But what I mean is that I try and gain my approval through the things that I do, through, through performing. And during my time at Penn State as a student, I felt like I'd performed well. Uh, I, was, I was doing all the right things. I was kind of jumping through the hoops. I was learning to share my faith. I was growing in my faith. And so I felt pretty good about my life spiritually. Well, little did I know that at the beginning of that summer, God was going to take me through a 15-month breaking process to show me that I was trusting in some of the wrong things. You see, there at North Myrtle Beach, all the other students in the project, they didn't know who I was. They didn't know of the things that I had done at Penn State. They didn't understand that I was respected by my peers. So I felt like the things that I was looking to for security in my life were taken away. I can clearly remember a day, it was very early on in the project, going to a pond near, near where we lived, and I pulled out some notes from a conference I went to down in uh, Daytona Beach um, with Crusade. And uh, the speaker had, the name of the talk was Every Crutch Removed. 
And it was about the life of David and about how God in his life had taken away one by one the things that David looked to for security. So he got to the point where all he had was the Lord. And he spoke the words of this psalm. It says, The Lord hears His people when they cry to Him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He rescues those whose spirit are crushed. And I remember feeling a lot like David. I remember feeling that everything that I looked to for security in my life was being taken away and taken away. And I can remember many a night going for a walk along the beach and just crying out to God and saying, God, what are you doing? Why is this so difficult? And yet God was at work in my life and was, was forming me and shaping me and making me into the man of God He wanted me to be. You may have heard the saying before that God, you don't understand that God is all you need until He's all you have. And I really felt like that that summer. I felt like, okay, God, it's you and I. Everything else in my life that I look to for security is gone. But I had hope. At the end of that summer, again, it was a hard summer. I was going back. It was my senior year in college. And I'm thinking, this is great. Senior year, it's going to be wonderful. Well, again, God wasn't quite finished with his breaking process. And I don't want to bore you with all the details, but a couple things I would point out. One is... I was really struggling with comparison. Um, I was on a, a student leadership team with other students, and I felt like these students that I was, the other students, I felt like they, they walked on water. Well, maybe not literally, but they were godly men and women. They had these thriving ministries, and then kind of looked at myself, and I thought, wow, I really don't belong here. So I was really struggling with comparison. Another major thing going on is, um, I experienced the, the breakup of my first Christian relationship. Uh, I'd been dating this girl for about a year, and my relationships in high school were, were not good. They were not godly. And so this was the first godly relationship, and it was good. It, would, it really helped me to grow closer to God. And yet I clearly felt God saying, you know what, this has got to end. And I didn't understand it at the time, but looking back, I could understand that I was trusting too much in my girlfriend and not enough in the Lord. And again, it was a period in my life where God was saying, you know what, I don't want any rivals in your life. And he was again teaching me what it meant to trust in him. Again, senior year was rough, but I had hope. Um... When I graduated, I planned to go on staff with Campus Crusade, and I thought, you know, I can't think of anything more fulfilling than to give my time to work with college students, to be able to sit down face-to-face, to share the good news of the gospel, to be able to pour my life, disciple uh, men. And so I was so excited about joining staff with Campus Crusade. And I'll never forget the day our campus director at the time sat me down and he said, Keith, I don't think you're ready to join staff. And I, I was crushed. I was, I was devastated because that was what I was planning for my future. Now, in hindsight, um, God is in control because if I would have gone on staff when I did, I may have never met my wife Jody. 
Okay, so he was he was very clearly in in control of those situations. So um, anyway, so I was crushed. But back to my story. But so uh, again, God's process is not over. So the summer after I graduated, um, I was asked to give leadership to our summer ministry at Penn State. A number of students stay around for the summer, and we continue to have our ministry on campus. And so I thought, okay, here's a chance to kind of prove myself and kind of get some strokes for being in a leadership position. And let me say, leadership is not all it's cracked up to be. And again, it was a rough, rough summer. I remember just kind of dealing with all kinds of stuff. I remember one time in particular, um, we were having kind of a a leadership meeting with the other students that were uh, kind of part of the leadership team. And they just, some of them really had bad attitudes. And I'd kind of like... I've, got, I've had it up to here. I walked out of the meeting. I just left. And I went, walked down the street. There was a, um, uh, a wall not too far from where we were at. And I sat down at the wall. And um, it's interesting because I still, to this day, know where it is. And like a couple months ago, I went by it. And it was just kind of fun to think about what God brought me through. Anyway, back to the story. So sat down on this wall and just I just totally had it out with God. I mean, I was so angry, so upset. And I remember kind of screaming at God, saying, God, if this is how you treat your kids, no wonder not very many people follow you. Okay, and I was just, I was livid with anger. I was so upset. And I've had other times in my life that have been difficult, but I've never in my life come so close to just throwing in the towel and saying, that's it, I'm done. Now, I, I wouldn't have stopped believing. That, that wouldn't have happened. But I was so close to saying, you know what? I'm just going to kind of give in to a life of mediocrity because trying hard to follow God just too difficult. And I remember as I was right in the middle of my rant that God brought a passage of Scripture to mind. It's from John chapter 6. You don't need to turn there. I'll just kind of briefly share it with you this morning. But it's a section where it's right after Jesus fed the 5,000 people. And the text said that Jesus knew, he understood, that they were about to come and take him and force him to be king. And because Jesus knew that it wasn't his time and knew that he had to go to the cross, it said that he needed to get out of there. He understood that he had to leave. And so he got in the boat and traveled over to the other side of the lake, and he gets there, and the crowd beat him there. They, they ran fast, and they got to the other side of the lake. And so there's this on, long dialogue in John chapter 6 where Jesus explains some things to the people. And he says, you know, the only reason you're here is because you're looking for another free lunch. And he began to say some very difficult things to the people. And the text says that as a result of what Jesus said, it said many of the people that had followed him no longer followed. They turned away. And Jesus turned to the disciples and said, how about you guys? Are you guys going to split too? And I just vividly remember, Peter responds, he said, Lord, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life and we know that they are the Holy one of God. He says, you're it. We have, we have nowhere else to turn. And that's exactly how I felt in that m- moment. I was so, felt so 
beaten down, so discouraged, so broken, that I was tempted just to stay there and just say, that's it, I, I can't go on. But I understood there's nowhere else to turn. And so I said, God, you know what? You're going to need to pick me up and carry me at this point in time because I'm not sure I can even walk. And it brought to mind that you're probably a, uh, you're very familiar with the, um, the poem Footsteps uh, in the Sand. Uh, talks about a story where God is walking along with a man and you see these two sets of footprints through the sand until the man gets to his most difficult place in his life and then he notices there's only one set of footprints. And he says, Lord, I'm confused here. You told me that you would never ever leave me and, and here in the most difficult point of my life, where are you? And he said, dear child, I didn't leave you. Those were the times I was carrying you. And that is, again, exactly how I felt, that I was broken and yet God was going to carry me through this time. I felt, again, a little bit, the verses are still up here, like David did. said, the Lord hears His people when they call for help. He rescues them from their troubles. The Lord is close to the broken heart. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And my spirit was crushed. I was a place of complete and total dependence on God. be honest, it's a place we don't like to go, do we? But it's a place where God works in mighty ways. Because when we can't, He can. So looking back, that was almost 35 years ago. And the Lord faithfully carried me through those difficulties. As I think about what the Lord did and how He gave me hope, just a few lessons on hope here. Uh, And then we'll close by looking at a passage. The first lesson is this, is that hope came from having nowhere else to turn. It came when I no longer was able to trust in myself. So I had no other option but to trust in Him. Corrie Ten Boom, uh, you're familiar with her story of being involved in the concentration camps and things like that. She said that she said, I've been to the bottom and it's solid. It's solid. So hope comes from having nowhere else to turn. Second lesson is this, is that hope is linked to faith. And faith is choosing to trust God even when life is difficult. Hope is the result of that choice. I like to think about it this way. Is when I'm in a, a rough situation and I've got an option, okay? I, I can trust God even though it might be difficult. Okay, that's kind of option A. Option B is I don't choose to trust God and that leads to hopelessness and despair. So... What choice do we really have, right? (laughs) I mean, even sometimes it's difficult to trust God. I'm still going to choose that over hopelessness and despair. So hope comes from when we're trusting God. The book of Job says it this way, as he was going through all the the difficulty, and and his wife uh, encouraged him to, why don't you just curse God and die? Okay, guys, we think we get bad advice from our wife, right? I mean, that's how would you like to receive that that advice? But 
But Job's response in Job chapter 2, he said, what will I do? Can I receive good from the Lord and not receive difficulty? Later in the book of Job, he said this, he said, even if he slay me, I'll still trust in him. Wow. (laughs) I, I don't know if I can say that, but again, when I'd hit the wall and I had nowhere else to turn, my only response was, I'm going to choose to trust. And trust yields hope. I think that's why the psalmist in Psalm 42 and 43, three different times says this, says, Why are you cast down on my soul? And why, have you come, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Third principle is this. Hope comes from a belief that God is good even when life is difficult. You see, sometimes we think, you know, God, if you, if you really love me, you would take care of my, all of my problems. You would just make them go away. Well, we've got the wrong perspective, right? We believe that God said, we believe that we shouldn't have any problems in life. And that's just not what Scripture says. In fact, the verse, this, your memory verse you looked at this morning from John, is he said, in the world you're going to have tribulations. It's a promise. You're going to have it. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So hope comes from understanding that God's good even when life is difficult. See, God allows hardship into our lives to to build His character in us. And we don't like it. We wish there was another method. And yet God uses it in our lives to develop in us a hope that won't be disappointed. And that's the final principle. And a passage that talks about this is in in Romans chapter 5. So you can turn there if you would. We'll look at Romans 5 verses 1 through 5 just briefly here in closing. but as you probably are aware, in Romans chapters 1 through 4, Paul is establishing the need that we have to be justified by faith, to be restored to a right relationship with God. And he explains very clearly in those passages the need for justification by faith. He explains the basis for justification by faith. And now in chapter 5, he's beginning to give some of the results of being justified by faith. So follow along as I read uh, verses 1 through 5. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, because this is true, oh, excuse me, it goes on to give results, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here this morning. Don't worry, you're looking at the clock thinking, wow, this is really going to go long. But I just want to briefly mention a few things this passage talks about. It mentions peace with God. And that idea there is not just the absence of, of conflict or hostility, but it's the, it's the Jewish concept of shalom, 
It's the idea of harmonious well-being. And that's because of justification, we've been legally declared not guilty and in fact righteous in God's eyes. And so that relationship with God that had been broken, restored. And so we have peace, harmony in our relationship with God. It says we can, we have um, hope, uh, we have confident access into the arena of God's grace. And I like to picture it this way, is that it's like we're, we've stepped into this, this giant bubble and we're completely surrounded by God's grace. No matter where we go, no matter what we do, we experience God's grace. We have confident access to that. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We're confident. We have a confident expectation that one day we will spend eternity in God's presence and it will be beyond our wildest imagination. So that confident expectation for the future. But what about the here and now? Well, it goes on. It says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? Rejoice in sufferings? He goes on to explain it. He says, suffering produces endurance. And endurance is the ability to remain steadfast, to remain steady under difficulty without giving in. Endurance produces character, proven character. Character that has been tested and proved to be genuine. And character produces hope. And by the way, when Scripture uses the word hope, it's not, gee, I hope the Steelers win this week. It's, it's not that kind of hope, okay? Hope scripturally means confident expectation. It's going to happen. Confident expectation. And so, character produces hope. And it says that hope will not put us to shame. Other translations say, will not disappoint. And the idea here is simply this, is that is to be disappointed or to have shame because of unfulfilled promises. And so the reason hope will not disappoint is because God's love has been poured out in our heart through the Holy Spirit given to us. So the Holy Spirit in us is not just the guarantee, the promise of things to come as the book of Ephesians says, but the Holy Spirit is the one who makes God's love real, makes God's evident in our lives on an ongoing basis. So God's love poured out in our heart is what helps us to experience hope even in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. George Matheson wrote, uh, the famous old hymn, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in Thee. Many of you may have heard that hymn. What you may not know is that it was written on the evening of his sister's marriage. And the whole family went to the wedding, but left him home alone. And as he wrote the hymn, he talked about some difficult periods in his life some things that had happened. See, years before, he had been engaged to a young lady. And during the time of his engagement, a doctor had said that George was going blind 
and that there was absolutely nothing he could do to prevent it. And so this young lady said, I can't go through life with a blind person, and she broke the engagement. Devastating time in his life. His sister, the one that was getting married, was the one who took care of him all through the years. And now she's getting married. And it's like, who's going to take care of me now? And not only that, but her wedding brought back the painful memories of his own broken engagement. And it was in the midst of this intense time of suffering that George Matheson wrote this famous hymn, A love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. You see, Matheson suffered two severe blows. First was the... uh, the loss of his eyesight, and the second, the loss of his beloved. But in both those cases, he chose to make the best of a bad situation. And we're the richer for it because of the words to his hymn. As this hymn reveals, it says, it was his faith in God that kept him through the adversities he had faced, he had suffered. Because he believed that no matter what he experienced, God would never let him go. It was God's light that he would would follow him and and show him the way. And it was God's joy that would speak to him in the midst of his pain. And it was faith that made all the difference. So, I don't know where you're at this morning. Again, I don't know you. But I know life. And I know life is difficult. And so I can imagine that probably each and every one of you here this morning have areas of your life where you need to experience God's hope. So I close with the words of Winston Churchill many years ago where he said, Never give up. Never, never give up hoping in the Lord Because He is the only one that really is able to give us hope.